let me encourage you just to keep that open um, so that this morning you can see what I'm saying is indeed coming uh, and indeed what the Bible says. Uh, my name is Rich Hall, I'm the pastor here. Uh, so for the next few minutes, we're going to look at these words together. Uh, but I'm just going to quickly pray and ask for God's help as we do that. Gracious God, we thank you for your word to us that is powerful like dynamite. Please, Father, speak to us as we read these verses now and think about them. In Jesus' name, amen. Is there more to life than this? Big question, hey, isn't it? I guess anyone asking that question, though, is going to be coming from a different place. What is the this that you think of if you ask that question? Is there more to life than this? For some people, for some of us out here, the this that you're living is great. The this you're living, you a fulfilling and satisfying job, happy family, comfort, security. It's good. But maybe even though it is good, that there is, there's that nagging feeling, that, that little voice saying, surely there's more. Surely there's got to be something more than this. Feel like you're missing out, but maybe not quite sure what that is. For others, the, the this is going to be much more difficult and painful. Heartache and hurt caused by any number of things. Loss, illness, anxiety, grief, pain, all of those things, any and all of those things. And you really hope there is more to life than this. You're desperate that there would be. And for others, you know, neither particularly good or bad. Ticking on by with life, got your routine, you're kind of reasonably happy with things. But what is your place in the world? Again, you feel like your life should have some meaning and significance, some kind of impact. What could that be? You won't be surprised to know that my answer to the question, is there more to life than this, is yes. You're not surprised by that. I don't know whether you'll be surprised to to hear the Bible's answer to that question. Whether your life is is brilliant or or really hard, the Bible's answer to the question, is there more to life than this, is, is yes, and it is found in following Jesus. It's found in following Jesus, you see, because that brings ultimate significance to life now, here and now, to your tomorrow, to your this afternoon. It also brings eternal significance of life forever. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first follower of Jesus. The first followers, there's actually three. The first followers of Jesus. This is a meteoric moment in history of, of the millions and millions of people who have been Christians throughout the last 2,000 years, we're going to look at the first. And we're going to focus on, although it was three, we're going to focus on this man, Simon. Uh, he was Simon Peter. Um, so he's actually better known by Peter, uh, the apostle, going on uh, as we move on through the Bible story. But one day, Peter was, uh, Simon Peter was, was a fisherman. And he'd, he'd got back, just got back after his uh, night's fishing and caught basically nothing. 
But he's sitting around there, and then Jesus comes by. And Jesus does what Jesus did. He, he was teaching. He was teaching the crowds. And so many people were desperate to hear that they were kind of crushing in. And people were in danger. People were jostling and pressing, trying to find, uh, find, their, um, find a view so they could hear him. And so Jesus goes into a rather unusual pulpit. He spots Simon and says to Simon, look, can we go out on your boat? Let's go out on your boat so that I can be out there in the water, the people can stay on the land, everyone can hear, and we'll all be fine. And so that's what happens. Simon Peter takes his boat out, Jesus is there preaching to the crowds. And then having finished, because we're not actually told what he says, but having finished, Jesus then gives Simon some rather strange advice. Some fishing advice. And it is through this fishing advice that Peter will end up following Jesus. That's a bit strange, isn't it? Let's see that happening. But first off, we're going to see that Peter comes to this life-changing realization. Could you jump there, please, gents? My phone doesn't seem to be working. A life-changing realization. This is the biggest thing that we see in these verses. You see... Simon Peter realizes that the man in his boat is no ordinary man. He is actually face-to-face with God. Face-to-face with God. What made him realize that? Well, have a look down at verse 4. So that's the little number 4. And let's see what Jesus' advice was. And when he had finished speaking, he, Jesus, said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets for a catch. Okay, by this time it's mid-morning, it's kind of maybe lunchtime, I know nothing about fishing, but I do know that this is not the time to go fishing. If you go out to the lakes, people are out there crazy early, aren't they, with their little tents and their rods. And particularly over there, the time to be mid-morning, late morning, lunchtime is not the time to go fishing. Baking hot, the fish want nothing to do with it. And Simon would be forgiven for thinking, what on earth does this guy know? He's a carpenter. He's a good preacher. What does this man know about fishing? If I said to you, I don't know what job you do, if I said, came in and said, that patient, they really need that treatment. And uh, yeah, I would invest in that property. And uh, yeah, that's that problem in the wiring of that building. You, you'd be like, what does he know? Nothing. And you'd be exactly right. But Simon does what Jesus said. Have a look at verse 5. And Simon answered, Master. There's a title of respect. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. At your word. So something that Simon Peter has heard of Jesus' teaching, he goes, actually, no, your word is is trustworthy. And so although it doesn't make sense to me as a fisherman, I'm going to do it. And he did. He let out the nets, and then vroom, the fish just swam straight in. And not just a couple, many, many, many. It's a supernaturally large catch. Just kind of feel the, almost the drama is how Luke stresses that from verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking, that they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and both filled both the boats so that they began to sink. 
the net so much for their nets to contain, and they, they get it on their boat, and they're sinking, and they get their friend's boat, they start sinking a huge, huge catch of fish. These boats, they weren't trawlers, okay? But equally, they weren't dinghies. Uh, if I have the, the next picture up, my uh, in-laws went to Jerusalem a few years ago. This is kind of a fishing boat at the time, so kind of 20 foot, so kind of substantial boat. And then the two of these are being dragged down because there are so many fish. Now, thankfully, it appears they did indeed make it back to shore. But, but you're Simon, okay? In this scenario, you're Simon. What are you thinking right now? I'm thinking this is a game changer. I'm thinking with Jesus on board, pun intended, with Jesus on board, this business could take off, right? He goes, yeah, go there at that time, boom. There at that time, boom. I'm thinking this is brilliant. Not Simon. Simon's reaction, at first instance, might seem a bit strange. See, have a look at verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, Simon, seeing this miracle, the fact that at the worst time of day, this man says, I know you've caught nothing all night, but go put your net down over there, and then this supernatural catch, Simon, seeing that miracle, something clicks. He, said, he realizes that, look, only God has this mastery over nature. Only God has that control. And so you, did you notice in, in verse 8, he, said, he, he calls Jesus, O Lord, which throughout Luke is a title reserved for God. But why fall down? What, what, what was it that made him fall on his knees before Jesus? Well, the thing is that wherever greatness turns up, it highlights inadequacies, doesn't it? In July and August, um, some of the men in the church like to go and play some football on a Wednesday night up at Tudor Park. And it's good fun. But if this guy turned up one week, he would very quickly highlight the inadequacies of everyone else there. Not to belittle any of you very good players, but he would completely highlight our weaknesses and our inabilities. And as it were, as Jesus is here in front of Simon Peter, as he looks at him, he goes, this is God to have such mastery over nature. This is God. I am not worthy before him. It highlights his, his morally, his, his morally that, that morally he is completely unworthy before him. And so do you, do you see, seeing Jesus and seeing Jesus do this, he, he says that I am a sinful man. Sin in the, the Bible is, is the idea of turning your back against God and living for yourself. And Peter says, look, before you, you morally perfect God, I'm a sinful man. I've rebelled against you. I've failed to live as I should. Failed to love you as I should. And so he couldn't even bear to be in the presence of Jesus. He says, depart from me. Now we'll look at Jesus' response in just a moment. But do just quickly look at the, the, um, uh, his, a bit of his answer in verse 10. Um, you see where there, Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. 
Now that is wonderful, isn't it? So we'll look at that in a second. But the, the fact remains is that Jesus had to say it. Jesus had to say that to Simon Peter because before him, he just felt utterly unworthy and says, depart from me. And I guess I want to, you to imagine meeting Jesus this week. If you were to physically meet Jesus this week, if you can't imagine even being a little bit afraid, then the Jesus you have in your mind is not Jesus. He's not the Jesus as we find revealed in the Bible. If you've never had a moment where you've met Jesus in his words and you've not been overcome with unworthiness before him, then it's probably because you've not understood who Jesus really is. In our world, lots and lots and lots of people like Jesus. Lots and lots and lots of people respect Jesus. But lots and lots and lots of people in our world minimize Jesus. And so Jesus becomes a personal financial consultant. Jesus becomes a doctor. Jesus becomes an insurance policy for after death. Jesus is, is, is not our best buddy. He's not a life coach. He's not a spiritual comfort blanket. Jesus is God. But Simon Peter's response, if you, if you know Peter from the Bible, it's classic Peter. Because having understood something, he immediately jumps to the wrong conclusion. So he rightly saw who Jesus was. And he rightly understood his unworthiness before Jesus, but he wrongly concluded that that meant that he couldn't have a relationship with Jesus. And so he said to Jesus, depart from me. But the second part of, of, of Jesus' great, um, uh, sorry, of Peter's life-changing realization is to see that though he is unworthy, yet still Jesus wants to be in relationship with him. God himself, and yet he wants to be in relationship with Peter. Have a look again at at verse 10. Uh, And Jesus said to Simon, halfway through, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. Do not be afraid, he said. So, So note there that Jesus doesn't say, don't worry about it. You've not really been that bad. You've certainly not been as bad as as those other people over there. You're fine. Now he says, don't be afraid. Your sin, your unworthiness, doesn't disqualify you from relationship with me. Let me say that again, because that's just so key for understanding who Jesus is. Jesus says, look, your sin, your unworthiness, does not disqualify you from relationship with me. Jesus says, no, don't be afraid. And in fact, being sinful, admitting that you are sinful, doesn't exclude you, but qualifies you for a relationship with Jesus. If you just turn over one page um, to chapter 5 and then find little verse 31 there, Jesus explains to the religious leaders of the day who are grumbling over the fact that Jesus... Uh, was hanging out with a tax collector. And in in verse 31, Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And here's his explanation of that little illustration. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why was it that Jesus came to earth? He came to earth to call sinners, the unrighteous, into relationship with him. Why did Jesus come to earth? Well, he came ultimately to die for sinners, to die in their place, to take the penalty for all of that sinfulness upon himself. That's why Jesus came. No, no, acknowledging and admitting your sinfulness doesn't disqualify you from relationship with Jesus. No, in fact, it qualifies you. And can I encourage us all, is when we see our sinfulness, which I hope we will see, don't, don't run away from Jesus. Run towards him. I guess some of us might not have done that for the first time. And there's that temptation, you go, when we realize our sinfulness, we go, okay, depart from me, Jesus, I'm going to sort myself out, and then once I've sorted myself out, then I'm going to come to you, and we'll be in relation, we'll be friends. She says, no, do not, do not be afraid. Actually, even Christians can make that same mistake. We don't, we don't turn away from sort ourselves out, and then we go back. Now, he calls sinners into relationship with himself. Simon Peter's life-changing realization is that Jesus is no ordinary man. He's God. And yet, despite the fact that Simon Peter realized that he, he was unworthy to be in relationship with Jesus, yet Jesus wants to be in relationship with him. Is there more to life than this? Yes, and it is found in relationship with Jesus, the God of all. Secondly, we see this in Simon Peter, this life-changing purpose. See, Jesus didn't just say, don't be afraid, you're safe from your sins, wonderful. Now again, we've read it a couple of times now, but midway through verse 10, coming back there. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. See, no longer... Are you going to use your, your, your nets to catch fish? No longer are you going to go out each day and launch out your nets to, to, <coughs> excuse me, to grab the fish in. No, from now on, you are going to be casting out the net of the good news of Jesus and catching people. Catching people with the gospel. And Simon Peter did, did just this. From this day on, he followed Jesus and he gave his life for spreading the good news of Jesus to others. He became one of the apostles. This is the remarkable thing again about Jesus. Did you, did you see that? Such is his authority and power that he, such is his authority and power. Yet he he loves and chooses to use people to join in that work. And here we see Simon, also James and John, we haven't really looked at, but they're there too. And Jesus calls them to follow him and then uses them for this great work. Now Peter had this distinct role. He, he was an apostle, and yet all Christians, as Tracy highlighted so clearly in her testimony, all Christians are given this, this purpose, this mission, this same job to fish for men women, girls and boys, to, to throw the net of the gospel out widely at home and at work and on your road. 
So to be part, not, not have that as a burden, but as a privilege. You see what great purpose that gives us, that once someone becomes a Christian, once they begin to follow Jesus, they have this ultimate and higher purpose in their life, above the, the cares and, and the things of this world. Yes, we don't leave behind our families and our work commitments and all those other things, but we have this, this purpose added to them this great work, that, that we might reach out to others, that they might come to this life-changing realisation of Jesus too. And then thirdly, for Simon Peter, it led to a life-changing commitment. Have a look at verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Here again, we see Jesus' awesome authority. He, he calls and Simon Peter responds. Can you imagine that? Someone turned up at your workplace tomorrow or at your home, knocked on the door and said, come follow me. What would you do? No, shut the door. But such as the authority, such as the power that Simon Peter has seen of Jesus is that when Jesus says to him, look, from now on, you leave your nets, you're going to come follow fish, fishermen. Off he goes. Because they've seen his authority. But he'd also seen Jesus in action. He, he knew that this person who was calling him to follow is God. He, he knew this person who's called him into relationship with himself um, has, has this power and authority. And so when he speaks, Simon is compelled and a personal response to Jesus is required. Now Peter, James, and John, they, they left their miraculous catch, their boats, their friends, their family. They, they left it all to go and follow Jesus. Did you see that, well, that's what it said, wasn't it? They left everything. Well, becoming a Christian is, a, is like a parachute jump. You, you can't half do a parachute jump. You're in or you're out. Now, for some of us, maybe literally that will mean upping sticks, moving, going, and leaving. For most of us, that's not going to require selling everything, leaving your jobs and going. But it's that commitment to follow Jesus, no matter what. I can imagine all kinds of things that Simon might have thought or said. He might have thought... Sounds a bit too tough. No, thank you. Could it? Maybe more like myself. I think he would have said, yep, definitely. I'll be right with you. Let me just sell these fish, this bumper, this bumper and like a huge amount, and I can sell them as miraculous fish. I'm going to sell these fish. We're going to then be set for a few months, and then let's hit the road. Could have said, yes, I'm going to come and follow you, but Friday nights are my nights. So... And probably better don't ask what I get up to on them. That, that's just my time. All, all, all different things that Simon could have said. He, said, he doesn't say any of them. He, he goes. He leaves everything and goes. And that's it with following Jesus. It, it, there's not a, a halfway following of Jesus or a part-time following of Jesus. When we come to the realization of who he is, that calls for this life-changing commitment to him. Not a negotiation. Yes, I'll follow you if. 
or yes, I'll follow you, but... No, it's a following of Jesus, a life-changing commitment because of who he is. It is a huge call, no doubt. But remember who it is that Simon Peter was following. He was following the one who had that mastery over creation. And if that's not enough for you, then can I encourage you to read through Luke's gospel. See the other things that Jesus said and did. See his authority over demons, disease, nature, all of those things. See how he provides for his people as he provided for his people. Uh, for Simon here. This is the Jesus he calls. Not only does he call, but he is worthy to be followed. Is there more to life than this? Yes, and it is found in following Jesus. Relationship with God himself, which starts now and goes on through all eternity. Is there more to life than this? Well, yes, he brings a life-changing purpose. Is there more to life than this? Well, yes, that call to follow him results in this life-changing commitment, a complete change in priorities and focus on him. Is there more to life than this? Yes, and it is wonderful. And it is found in him. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for showing us Jesus this morning. Thank you for showing us his power and authority. He not only calls, but but provides for his people. Lord, please... Would you work in us and strengthen us indeed to follow Christ? Please work in us to to show us that we can trust in him and that we can uh, trust in him, that it is worth doing. In Jesus' name, amen.